this church. You, you've heard that title for some time. And Dr. Clark used to say in the classroom, keep saying the same thing till the people catch it. You want to say the same thing until the people catch it and they believe it. Salvation in the church and all that we've been talking about is about this salvation and how it comes about and so forth. And today we're going to look at why the body? Why the body? Why did Jesus have to put on flesh? Why was he put in a human body? Why would God clothe himself in that manner? Put on a human body? The weakest thing, in one sense, of what he had created. The angels are more powerful than we are. You ever thought of that? And yet, he's going to clothe himself in human flesh. In human flesh. He's going to do it. And remember the expression? Some of the young folks won't know it because we don't write the things down too much anymore and a lot of things have been lost. But remember the expression, talk is cheap? Talk is cheap. And it really is. I mean, you can say anything. You can tell anybody anything. But do you put your life on the line for it? Remember in the old days, some of you old men, remember when you used to fight? You draw your line, And then you had to step up to the line, and if you were going to fight, the other person stepped up to the line, and then it was on. The sucker punch came later. (laughs) But you drew that line, and you stepped up, and the other person stepped up. If they didn't step up, it was no fight. But if they stepped up, it was on. And in one sense, what God has done is simply this. He drew a line and he stepped up. He personally showed up for this fight of the history. The most historical fight ever. He stepped up. He showed up. He put on human flesh to do battle with our arch enemy. Are you willing to put your body on the line? How far are you willing to go? Show up personally and really demonstrate what you truly want, what you truly desire. A lot of us want something, but we're not willing to put ourselves on the line. We're not willing to step up. We just want it and hope it's going to happen. I remember when I was walking past Sears when it was on Main Street. And I saw this old Henry bike in the window. And and my dad was there with us and mom. Because back in them days you went downtown to pay your bills. And boy, I saw that bike and I said, Dad, I'd like to have that bike. He said, well, show me that you really want it. What he meant was, 
you start saving some money. (laughs) You start making the sacrifice and show me that you really want this. No. And I got that old Henry bike. You know, I start saving for it. He did the same thing when I first went in my car. Boy, he told me, he said, if you save $500, at that time it was a 65 Mustang. You save $500, they only cost $1,900 back then. I hate to see what they cost now. But he said, if you save $500, we'll get it. And I was working this part-time job, and I was working at the car wash, and I was doing, boy, and, and I went by the bank and I put $50 in, but she added one too many zeros. And boy, I'm like the folks down there in, in Circle K and everything else. Praise the Lord, I got the right number now. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Drove back around, drew out $500, took it home, gave it my dad, and we went down and got a 65 blue Mustang. Then a couple of weeks later, the bank sent me a nice little letter saying there was a mistake and you owe us. (laughs) But there was an effort of stepping up to make the sacrifice to do, to demonstrate. Today, a lot of young folks don't want to demonstrate that they really want something, that they really go after it. They desire it. Yesterday we were at a meeting earlier and I called my granddaughter over because she'd been asking me if she could work with me during the summer or she could do this or she could do that. And I called her over and I said, why don't you go over and talk to this young lady to see if you can be a summer missionary and you'll get paid for it. You go. Not me. You go. She has to take the what? The initiative to do it. She's the one who wants a job this summer. You take the initiative. Isn't that right, Katie? See? Not somebody else go do it for you, but you step up to the line and you really show that you want something. A lot of people want something, but they want somebody just to give it to them. They don't want to demonstrate any action, any desire, any effort on their own that they really want it. They just want somebody to hand it to them. You put yourself on the line. The other old saying was, step up to the plate. And God stepped up. He put himself on the line for us. He stepped up to the plate to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. He did it. Charles Swindoll says this, and he is correct. Serving doesn't come naturally. Why? We don't give of ourselves. We don't serve others without really receiving something back. Naturally, we are self-contained. Everything is about who? Me. It's all about me. We're very selfish creatures. And what has to happen is simply this. You have to learn how to serve. 
My kids used to ask me, Dad, why we got to go get your house shoes? Why we got to wash out your bathtub? Why we got to do this? Why, how one day I'm going to be old and you're going to have to do it. So I'm teaching you now what you're going to do later. A lot of young people don't see about old people because they were never taught while they were young that they were going to have to do it. If you have children, teach them to wait on you. Why? They're so busy about their own life, their own business, their own thing. Even when you really need them, they won't see it. Because they have learned to only take care of who? Themselves. You have to teach young people how to serve and take care of you when you become what? Old. I'm 60-something years old. And my dad's saying, get underneath that bed, boy, and, and pull that box out. He's in his 90s. But just to do what he asks without an argument, without an excuse. I'm old, too. My knees hurt, too. You know? People must develop the art of serving. You have to develop that. It's not all you do is serve yourself. All you do is wait on yourself. Everything is just about you then. You have to develop an art to serve. Secondly, people have to be willing. And this is the point about serving. Willing to deny themselves to serve someone else. To wait on somebody else. You have to be willing to deny yourself and wait on someone else. And very few of us want to do that. That's why in the church, nobody wants the gift of help. We want the gifts that are seen and everything and heard about, but we don't want this simple little gift of help because we're helping other people and I may not be recognized. People may not see me. And nobody wants that gift of helps, but yet we're all called to serve. And in serving, you're always helping someone else. But you have to be willing. Thirdly, People must ask, Lord, show me, teach me, help me to serve and give of myself. You take all of this and you'll see Jesus Christ. You'll see Jesus Christ. Because he came to teach us to serve. He came to give of himself. He came in a sense to even deny himself by putting on flesh that he might serve us and minister to us. People must ask, Lord, make me a servant. Lord, help me to deny myself and give myself to others. 
You have to ask that. Because it doesn't automatically happen. It's not going to take place unless you really desire it. You have one of these, one of those technological things that might work and might not work. This always works. (laughs) Turn with me to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. 5 through 8. He simply says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now understand that statement. Understand something. He don't have to grasp for who he is. When you know who you are, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody. You know who you are. You know exactly who you are. You know your identity. You're not lost. It's not about what other people say to you. He didn't have to grasp for something that he is. He knew he was God. But made himself nothing. You don't have to prove who you are. You know who you are. And he made himself nothing. I don't have to be called Reverend Brown to preach. I don't have to be called Pastor Brown. I don't have to be called some title to do what the Lord has called me to do. I just have to be willing to do it. If I wasn't here preaching, I'd be preaching somewhere else. Wasn't here teaching, I'd be teaching somewhere else. I know who I am and for which purpose God has called me. Just have to do it. Don't need a title. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a what? Of a servant. Of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Being made in human likeness. The lowest of God's creation. And the angels couldn't even figure that out. Why would he put on flesh? Why would he humble himself and become like a weak man? A weak human being. That he might serve us. And being found in the appearance of a man, catch this other line, because it's so important in the area of being able to be a servant. He humbled himself. As long as you think high of yourself in one sense, you won't humble yourself because too many things in life will be beneath you. You'll be better than that. Yes, some things in life you ought to see yourself being better. Men, you ought to see yourself being better. You're not a stud for every woman. You're better than that. You're better than that. 
You don't prove your manhood by how many children you can father. You're better than that. You're better than that. And he simply says, he humbled himself as a servant and became obedient to death. Now I want you to hang on to that word obedient because it's going to come back up again for us. And he became obedient to death, even the death of a cross. But he took on this body to demonstrate for us what it is to be a servant of God. A servant of God. Because man didn't know how to serve God. He took it on. Go over to Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, verse 45. And you're going to see another little area here. Why this body? Why this body? Because it's important for us to understand, why did Jesus put on this body? 1045. Let me get down there to it. It's in here somewhere. For even the Son of Man did not come to be what? Yeah. Wait a minute. You're God. Everything you created should serve who? You. But you're saying you took on a form of humanity in order to serve us. To serve us. And you came not to be served. God humbling himself to serve that which he had created. He humbles himself. Put on something lesser than himself in order to serve us and minister to us. And he simply says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be a servant, to be served, but to serve. And to give. Nobody took his life. But to give his life as a ransom for many. You have to give your life away. You have to be willing to give it. In marriage, it's an act of giving. You both are giving to each other. In relationships, you're giving to each other. Each has its boundaries, but you're giving to each other. Oftentimes, all we want to do is receive. But when does the giving take place? When do you put on the responsibility that you are a giver and not just a receiver? Everybody want to be loved. You want love. The question is, can you then give love? Because love, it overlooks the faults of people. And if you can't overlook my faults or I can't overlook your faults, we're not really loving each other. 
But real love overlooks faults. Sometimes I ask the marital counseling, Mom, why is it that you can overlook your son's faults? He hurts you. He does this. He don't always obey you. I love him. Then I say, look at the man next to you. <laughs> Tell me why you can't overlook his faults. He's grown. He's this. He should have known better. Every grown man is nothing but a little boy on the inside. My wife will tell you that in a minute. Yeah, he's getting on his toy, my motorcycle. Hey, hey. Oh, yeah, he's out there playing with his toys, the tools. That's the little boy in us. But when you really love one another, you overlook the faults. And God so loved the world that he overlooked our faults and he became one of us. He became one of us. Because he overlooked our faults. That doesn't mean he didn't still hold us accountable for our faults. Because you forgive somebody of their faults does not mean that there's not still some punishment that's going to come. But he loved us enough that he is willing to come and demonstrate the type of life that he wanted us to live in serving him. In serving him. So he didn't come to be served, but he come to serve and to give his life. And that's why he had to put himself in a body form, that he could demonstrate it, that he could show it off. The word became flesh. John 1 tells us in verse 14, that the word became flesh. And we need to recognize that. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. The word dwelling is the same thing for tabernacle. But what it is saying also to us is not forever. That He put this body on temporarily. And He's going to be with us temporarily for a short period of time. 33 years. And then He's gone. But he was with humanity for 33 years. And that's still the argument today. Was God really Jesus? Was Jesus really God? And he simply says, the word dwelt among us. Over in 1 John, because you and I can't do this per se, but yet 1 John uses some expressions that are important for us to really gather. Go to 1 John chapter 1, because we need to hear what John is saying here. Because John is going to transition for us. 
and we want to catch that transition. But this is something he could not have done previously when he called him the Word. The Word. The Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He could not have done that if Jesus would have stayed only in the form of the Word. He says in 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. He would have never heard his voice without the body. He would not have heard Jesus. And what John is saying, I heard Jesus. Now stay with me and thought, don't lose me here. Because he says, I heard Jesus. But then he goes on to another step. And he says, which we have seen. He didn't see the word. But he saw who? Jesus. Because of the body form that Jesus put on, that the word put on. And he says, We have seen with our eyes which we have looked and at our hands have what? Touched. Our hands have 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 touched. touched. Spirit form, I couldn't do that. But in a body form, I could touch. I could see. I could hear. And John writes these things to us because we can't touch. We don't see him in that body form. We can't hold him. We can't embrace him in that body form. And John said, I did. I did. Now, either we're going to believe John or we're going to discredit John. Either we're going to validate him or we're going to say, no, he's just imagining something. But he says, because he was in the body form, I was able to do this. I was able to do this. Now, he says, and we're going to break this down over the next couple of weeks. This 14, this 14th verse, because he said, We beheld his glory. We'll pick that up in the next sermon. Then he comes and he says, He was full of grace and truth. We'll pick that up in another sermon. But in that verse 14, he said, We beheld his glory. We also recognize he was full of grace and truth. But this week, we're just going to deal with his fleshly body. The word became flesh or took on flesh. Here is the incarnation that we call the incarnation. It affirms that God became flesh. It affirms that God became flesh. And here we deal with the issue. Did God put on human flesh? And many groups do not believe that Jesus Christ was truly God. 
They're willing to accept that the Spirit of God came upon the man Jesus, but that Jesus himself was not truly God. That becomes the argument even today. Because that's the difference between faith, saving faith, and not being saved. That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Doing a work that we cannot do in and of ourselves. And John makes a very important change here. And sometimes we miss it. But John does something here that is uniquely different. In John 14 is the last time in the book of John that John uses the word, word. He doesn't use it again in this book. As far as referring to God as the word. Then when you look at verse 17, he uses the earthly name, Jesus Christ. But in between that time, what John is recognizing, there's a transition that takes place. There's a transition from being the Word that's in heaven, the Word that was with God in the beginning, the Word that was the light of every man. Now there's a transition that takes place with this flesh being put on, and now he is called Jesus. His name would be Jesus. Not the Word, but still the Word but known now as Jesus. And there's a transition that this, in the first part of chapter 1 with John, who was God, becomes flesh. Truly God, truly man. Truly God, truly man. And John doesn't use the word word again in this chapter. From now on, he refers to the name Jesus. 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 And not the word. There is now a transition that has taken place. And John recognizes that transition. And what has taken place? The word has now become flesh. Or in bodily form. What John says is that we have God. The word is human now. Is in human form. It's called Jesus Christ. Now, many will say Jesus was just the man. Because God can never really become part of humanity. Islam says that. That Jesus was just a man, but the Spirit came upon him. Mormons believe that. That Jesus Christ was not fully God. Jehovah Witness believe that. That Jesus Christ was not fully God. But as Christians, we hold and we believe that Jesus Christ was completely, totally God, and yet completely, totally human. 
We believe that. Now, many will cite the Nicene Creed that when Jesus became God. And sometimes you'll find questions. When did Jesus, the man, become God or divine or put on deity? And they'll go back and say at the Nicene Creed. Nicene Council. Nicene Council. This was the first council to which East and West met together. And hence, it is the first of the four general councils of the church. The place of the church had been greatly disturbed by the teaching of Arius and his followers concerning the divinity of who? Of Christ. Is he God? Is he deity? And they concluded with what scripture said. He is. He is. He is. All they had to go by was scripture, not by feelings, not by man's philosophy. We have to go back where? To what scripture says. And scripture declares that he is God. Now, sometimes the argument will be, show me where Jesus called himself God. Very simple, really. John 8, where he says, I am. Don't need any other explanation. (laughs) I am. But when God is speaking with Moses, who do I say that sent me? I am. That I am has sent. There is no exact scripture where Jesus says, I'm God. He doesn't need to say it. He demonstrates it. He demonstrates it. He demonstrates it. Now, in the fourth century was the period in which that big debate really took place. But we're still debating it today. Is Jesus really God? Is Jesus really God? Go to Hebrews 10, 5. Go to Hebrews 10. I'm going to pick up in verse 5. And here in, in the text, we have when Christ came into the world. You could use another phrase. When the word came into the world. It's referring to the same individual. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. A what? A body. Now, who prepared that body? God prepared his own body that he was going to step into. Why would his body have to be prepared? Why couldn't he just come really through as we believe the natural part of the woman? And you need to understand something. Joseph did not know Mary, but that was of the Holy Spirit doing something in Mary. And Christ came. Jesus came through what we call a natural birth. 
But why man was not involved in that is because he comes with a different body in this sense. His body knew heat. His body could get sunburned. His body, if he got cut, it bled. His body knew hunger. His body understood pain. His body had all the senses that our bodies have. What it didn't have was the sin nature. That's why man couldn't be involved. The sin nature. Because through the seed of man is what the sin nature is in. And we take on that seed of Abraham, that nature of Abraham. So the man was totally excluded from it. And we have the virgin birth and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You following me? And he said, you had made a body for me. You had prepared for me. Why? Because sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. You did not desire that. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do what? The will. Remember what we said earlier? To serve, you have to have a what? A willingness to serve. If you don't have a will to do that, you will not do it. Everybody will serve you. You ever want to watch that in real life? Watch a baby. A baby wants you to constantly what? Wait on them. I poop, change my diaper. I wet, change my diaper. I'm hungry, feed me. I want to sleep, leave me alone. You see it in the baby. But at some point, we should grow out of our babiness and become mature enough where we're ready to give and to serve. And he goes on a little further there with this, huh? A body he has prepared me. Now, why? Because sacrifices and offering he was not pleased with. So when you go to Psalms 40, let's go there real quick, and, and I want to inform you up front. Pastor Travis did right last week by cutting short because I'm taking that time out of his bank to use it now. So, so let's go over to Psalms 40. Look at verse 6, I believe it is. He says, in verse 6, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. Now put that in your head. God didn't desire for animals to be killed and be sacrificed. Well, he said in Leviticus law, that's all it was. Well, we're going to deal with that. But the whole issue, that was not God's real desire. That animals would be slaughtered for our sin and the shedding of their blood to atone for our sin. No. 
And he makes it very clear. He didn't desire that. Hey, get these glasses for sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. But my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not what? Require. You did not require. But that don't make sense if you read the Leviticus laws and all that's in there and what God is asking for them to do. I want you to behold a statement that Brother Beecher makes. Always go back to Genesis to see if it was there. Okay. Think of Adam. And what Adam was told to do was to work, to name the animals. Nowhere was Adam given any instructions to sacrifice an animal to God. Nowhere. Plus you discover Adam himself did not do any self-sacrificing because there was only one sacrifice, the same that was required. Remember the word I told you to hold on to? What was that word? Obedience. The only sacrifice that was required of Adam was to be obedient. To be obedient. And when Adam was not obedient, it was God then who provided the sacrifice. He did it to cover their nakedness. To cover their nakedness. Something else had to die for Adam's sin other than Adam. And God sacrificed some animal, doesn't tell us what, in order to clothe both Adam and Eve. And God provided Jesus Christ with a body that would shed blood because God has said The wages of sin is what? Death. And Jesus would come and taste death for every one of us. And that there would be no remission of sin without the shedding of what? Blood. And you don't get blood unless something has a body. It has to have a body. To be able to shed blood. And by Jesus putting on that body. And giving of himself. He bled. That we might be free. Of sin. Can you catch it? Can you see it? Man didn't come up with the idea of a sacrifice. God did it. But he did it on behalf of man. And the reason Jesus puts on a body 
is because God decides to do that because nothing else on earth, a sacrifice had to be what? Blameless. Without what? Blemish. And he said, all have sinned. So what could he use other than himself? He could only use himself. He could only give himself. He could only sacrifice himself for our sins. Now that's something for the mind. And you get into a debate trying, well, how does God sacrifice himself? How does God do this? How do... God said what's impossible with man is possible with who? Him. And he does it on our behalf. And the biggest argument, even today, is that Jesus Christ is not God. Why a lot of people don't really accept the Lord Jesus Christ because they can't settle it in their mind that Jesus is God. He's God who has put on human form to be able to do the things that he does on our behalf. And all that was required of Adam was obedience, not sacrifices. Not sacrifice. That's why in Hebrew it says, boy, sacrifices and offerings you desired not. Because even today, what does God require of us? Obedience. Not our giving. Not this or get that but our obedience. And Christ put on that body, that form of humanity, to demonstrate to us that yes, we can obey God even in the very difficult moments of life. And we come with the words, not my will, but your will be done. In order to what? Be obedient unto him. And that's the hardest thing for man to do. That's one of the hardest things for children to do. Be obedient to their parents. It's hard for man to be obedient to the law. It's hard for us to be obedient to our boss or those who are over us. The hardest thing that we have to struggle with in life is being obedient. That's tough, isn't it, Katie? It's hard to obey these two, isn't it? It's difficult. When I'm at school, I know what they expect, but I'm on my own now. I can do my own thing now. But you ever hear that little voice up there? Called the conscience? God speaks to it. Isn't that right? It's hard to be a young lady and be obedient to God, isn't it? Yeah. We're going there. 
<laughs> it's hard for a young man to be a single man and have all these urges and all these desires to run rapid in us. The only thing I got to do is look at Jesus. That's all. Look at Jesus. Sometime on TV, on the History Channel, you'll see that this lie that comes up that uh, uh, Jesus was had a girlfriend called Mary or was somehow associated with Mary. No, he didn't. See, that's just man's mind running wild trying to disprove what the Scripture says. That's all. See. Man did not perform the first sacrifice. God did. Man didn't come up with the blood sacrifice. God did from Genesis to Hebrew, right on through with Matthew, and even there in Hebrews 9.14. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And then there's no pleasure. God doesn't have pleasure killing that which he created. There's no pleasure in that. That's why he didn't require it of Adam. And what he required of Adam, nothing had to die but who? Self. 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 That's all. Now, in the flesh, Jesus demonstrated. I'll have you all out of here in the next five minutes. So I, I, I only took 15 minutes of Travis' time this week. I get the other 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But Jesus demonstrated the love of God. Remember that body? Let's go to Romans 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5. Come on down to verse 8 with me. And, and I want you to ask yourself something. How do you demonstrate something unless you yourself show up in person to do it? When you demonstrate something, you have to show up in person to do it. See? To perform it. People have to be willing to see it. We're still creatures of, of, of seeing. Our hearing is dull. We remember more of what we see than what we hear. We remember more. And therefore, we coined this little phrase, show me. So what am I saying then? Show me. Demonstrate it. Let me see you do it. Show me. Demonstrate it. So in Romans 5, in verse 8, it says, But God demonstrated his own love. He showed forth his what? His own love. He came and put on flesh that he could demonstrate his own love for us. Not just have a prophet tell us about it. Not just to have some scribe write about it and tell us about it. He came personally, put himself on the line, came up to the plate and demonstrated he loved us. He did that. Himself, personally, 
he did it. And it says he demonstrated his own love for us in this why we were still sinners. When's the hardest time to love somebody? When they're hurting you. When they are hurting you. In the book of Foxes, there's a one of the missionaries why he was being beaten by his captives. He would look up to them and say, I love you. God loves you. And they would just keep beating him until they beat him to death. But he just kept saying, I love you. I love you. You demonstrate love in some of the most awful situations of life. Another object lesson I I use sometimes during counseling or marriage counseling the couple will be talking and I'll put one book down. I'll put another book on top of it while they continue to explain to me. I put another book there. I put another book. And you that got a stack of books about like that on my desk. And then every now and then, I'll peep around on this side or I'll peep around on that side. As long as I stay fixed in that book, they can't see my face. And what I'm illustrating to them is this, and I tell them, every one of the books is a problem that has built up that keeps you from seeing each other. But if we deal with this problem, we deal with this problem, we take care of that problem, and we begin to remove the books, now we can see each other. You see the one you fell in love with. You see the one that you care about. Because in seeing, we love. And God never stopped seeing us from the moment he created us and gave us life. He saw us through all of our faults. He saw us through all of our sins. And he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to minister. I'm going to help. And I'm going to allow them to see me do it in a bodily form. In a bodily form. And he came to deal with our problems, to deal with our sins. He died for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us while we couldn't even see him, but he saw us. He died for us. He justified us by his own blood. Again, without a body, no blood. Romans 8.32, he spared not his own son. His body bore our sins in 1 Peter 2.24. Without a body, he would not have been able to what? He says, cast all your sins, all your problems, where? Upon him. Without a body, you wouldn't be able to do that. It's an example of the scapegoat in the Old Testament. 
in the flesh, he was able to be the example. 1 Peter 2.21 He was the example for us. And then John 13.50 He said when he washed his, his disciples' feet, he says, I leave you an example of how to serve one another. The humbling experience to wash the feet of someone else. The humbling experience to wait on somebody else and their needs and not your own. It's a humbling experience. But he says, I leave you an example of how to do this. And without putting it on the body, he would not have been able to leave us an example that others would even write about. And then in Hebrews 2.9, he says, He came and he tasted death for every man. Not some men, not just for a white group or black group, not for a yellow group or that group, but for who? Every man. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. He took my death, your death, upon himself. He did that. And in closing, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became what? Sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Until you can see that the only one who can handle sin is God. You will not see Jesus Christ as God. You have to destroy Scripture to come up with something else. You have to deny Scripture to come up with something else that Jesus Christ is not You just totally, and this is what a lot of people do, they ignore it. And they believe that they ignore it. They never have to deal with it. But the mind itself asks the question, is Jesus God? That's hard to put around in here. And that's where faith comes in. And with faith that has experience of a living God becomes a reality. When you exercise your faith, you begin to experience a living God. You begin to see a living God when you exercise your faith you begin to be able to embrace a living God. Even though there's no physical body, you're embracing it because it's through faith that you're able to believe what the Word has declared. Amen?
Father, we just thank you and praise you that your desire is that we know truth. And you want us, Lord, to respond to truth, not to a lie, not to a myth, not something made up, not our own philosophy, not our own thoughts, but to truth. And you came personally to deliver your truth unto us. You came in bodily form to teach us and to be an example for us of how you would have us to serve you and to deny ourselves and come to a place that we say your will be done, not ours. And that we have a heart to do your will and not the pleasures of this flesh. But that, Lord, we totally surrender to you. That's where real faith, real maturity, real believing in Jesus Christ really begins to take root. I pray, Father, for any that are in here who may call themselves Christians, but as John said, have not been born from above. We believe what has been said and we believe uh, what has been told us and we've done this and we've done that, but Lord, we have not had the experience from above. May you, O oh God, give us that experience that only comes from above. That the Word became flesh and that Jesus Christ is the living Word, the living God. May we experience Him. May we know Him for ourselves. Not what somebody else has told me. Not what some Sunday school teacher has taught me. Not what some pastor has said. But that we might know Him for ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen.